Hacks is back for season three, and so is the official Hacks podcast. In each episode, Hacks creators Lucia Agnello, Paul W. Downs, and Jen Statsky speak with cast and crew members to unpack the Emmy-winning comedy series. You'll hear Hannah Einbinder and Gene Smart speak to their on-screen dynamic, along with stories from the show's writer's room, on-set antics, and creating the world that Deborah and Ava inhabit. Watch Hacks, streaming exclusively on Max, and listen to the official Hacks podcast on Max or wherever you get your podcasts. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart for a year, and what a year it has been. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Make Woke AF Daily your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I used to have so many men. How this beguiling woman in her 50s... She looked like a million bucks. ...scams a bunch of famous athletes out of untold fortunes... Nearly $10 million was all gone. It's just unbelievable. Hide your money in your old rich men, because <laughs> she is on the prowl. Listen to Queen of the Con, Season 5, The Athlete Whisperer, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello and welcome to True Romance. My name is Devin Leary. And my name is Carolina Barlow. And we're speaking on behalf of Monica Lewinsky this episode. Okay, but can I just say that... The last time Carolina slept over my house, not to make it sound like we're seven years old, but we have sleepovers every once in a while. Okay? Every once in a while. This is not even a sleepover. This is just a play date that Carolina came here for. I only came here for a play date and my mom's picking me up later. Okay. So I have my tarot deck out on the table because I do morning meditation every morning. I light my animal spirit guide candle. I pull two tarot cards. I read their meanings. And then I immediately try to assign them to the exact circumstances of my life like if it says like something bad is happening i'm like the day's ruined like that's how i go about it which probably isn't healthy but that is what i do every day someone gets here and immediately gets into the decks and what do i know i look and see she has jumbled the major arcana with the minor arcana meaning i'm gonna have to go back through and pull apart separate Wait, why is it such a problem? Isn't that most tarot decks, they come together? No, Pe- they, they come separated with a divider. Okay, that's not how me and my family do it. Okay, well, that's how most people do it, including professionals that I have gone to. Okay, and I'm saying this as a burn to me and a burn to you. I have gone to so many more professionals than you have, and they keep it all in one deck. I don't think they keep it all in one deck. It's one deck! No, it's two decks. The major arcana and the minor arcana. You guys... I want to also tell you a story about this incident. I sit down. I say, can I play with your tarot cards? Devin says, yeah, do whatever you want. I say, okay, I just didn't want to mess them up. Because I'm assuming that you understand the difference between major and minor arcana because you're always talking about like the whoop-de-doo witchy stuff. True. Which I appreciate, but I'm just saying I thought that you might know the difference and you didn't. I didn't, but I honestly... I'm going to take the fall on this one, you guys. But that's okay. I just, I, sometimes I like to to humble Carolina and 
this is one of those instances where it's like, okay, you thought you could just come into my house that I'm staying in. That's clearly a hot person's house. Devin is renting a house that is so hot. You can just tell a hot person owns this house. We don't know what the person looks like. We haven't seen this person, but we can just tell that a hot person owns this house. By the way, this person becomes hotter because of this house. House is part of the deal. Listen, Devin is bankrupting herself by renting it but we really when you see it you appreciate that she's doing that and no one's gonna see it because i don't hang out with anyone besides carolina i know i was thinking that would be so fun to have a party here but because of covid and the fact that i don't like killing people it will just be the two of us well i was on my work zoom today and they're like oh you moved like are you close to your friends and i was like my friend singular um yeah she's pretty close carolina is my one-stop shop friend that's the thing like you have friends that you are like, this person's great for going out to dinner. This person's great for venting. This person's great for shopping. This person's great for watching stuff. Carolina is great for all those things. Why would I go anywhere else? Because I messed up your tarot cards. That's even better because then I get to feel superior to you. Oh, right. <sighs> Today we are talking about a third friend. Yes. And we are recording this in anticipation for American Crime Story impeachment we are actually recording it in advance you guys have probably all seen it by this point we have not the premiere episode came out this week and we wanted to give a little backstory on our girl monica and a really a love affair that um shook the nation shook that bible belt it shook everyone's belts clean right off and including bill clinton's it, it says so much about american culture how this took the country by storm and our puritanical values and also who we decided to blame in this and why it's called the Lewinsky affair, not the Clinton affair, why it's called the Lewinsky scandal, not the Bill Clinton scandal, not the 1998 scandal. Yeah. We're pinning it all on a 22 year old intern at the white house. And I just want to give a little bit of background to whoever needs to catch up. So it's the mid nineties. There's a government shutdown. That's if you're not familiar when the government shuts down because of a budget impasse, government workers are furloughed so all of a sudden like 200,000 people that work for the government don't have jobs they don't get paychecks they need people to cover for them in the white house enter as one does interns unpaid interns unpaid interns listen i know all you interns that came in after the class of 2012 i know you all had the cushy experience of being paid and having like a normal schedule that was not the case for those who have suffered, such as me and Monica Lewinsky, and yes, we are in the same category of people who have suffered under the abuse of power. No, I'm I'm not kidding. I mean, I'm kidding, but <laughs> I'm, no, I'm not no, kidding. No, I'm not kidding. <laughs> no, seriously, this is what this episode no, is about. I'm not kidding. <laughs> seriously, that I was there. I was in the White House. This is what happened to me. So um, this is what happened to Devin. Now, <laughs> so if we just tell you the story of this affair, taking the White House out of it and making it a car dealership. It's pretty standard work affair. So, you know, this older guy, a young employee comes that he normally wouldn't have been so close to, but because she's an intern and they're out of workers, you know, they end up meeting. She, thinking he's really cute, purposely raises her jacket so he can see her thong coming out of her pants. Classic move. A classic move. One that no one in this room is above. And she tells him that she has a crush on him. He takes her to his office and he asks to kiss her. She says, yes, they kiss and she gives him her number. So that's all really normal and hot. And 
I think that when you're 22, as Whitney Cummings says, you do really stupid things. Yep. You know, she has a great stand-up bit where she talks about how she went to a gross producer's, like, trailer when she was 19. And she said, you know, people ask me, why'd you go? And she said, because I was an idiot. Yeah. And it's like, I mean, think of all the dumb things you've done before the age of 25. I There's too many. That was my life. Like, the craziest thing to me about when you're young is that I do remember, like, distinctly feeling, like, no, I know what I'm doing. How dare you try to tell me that I'm wrong? Like, I know myself. I know my life. I know my future. I get it. I get everything. I know everything. I can't believe my mom thinks she knows better than me. Like, are you kidding me? And then you look back and you're like, what about all the times I almost died? What was that about? Why did I fully risk my life for no reason? All the time. Why did I, like, have moments that should have been in a Degrassi episode or like a Lifetime movie and I like barely survived them to be fair we were capital S super dumb but yeah I think that we also need to address the elephant of the room aka Bill Clinton who was successful specifically because of charisma charm and knowing what to say in the room yeah and he was actually famous for that and for a politician to be famous for his level of charm is insane because that's something that you have to have when you are courting voters but this one in particular had a lot of it and there was a lot of anecdotes about how clinton will leave a room and everyone in it will think that they had a specific important interaction with him and i actually not to name drop and i know that some reviewers say i do that and you know what i think so i think one reviewer was like oh i humble brag a lot oh which, you know, even Jesus looked in the mirror once in a while. You'll notice I said, oh, and not, you don't do that. What? <laughs> oh, what? I mean, you guys heard my bachelor application. <laughs> so not to humble brag, but yes, my grandfather was a congressman. Yes, like I've had friends that have met the Clintons. And Bill Clinton is famously very charismatic, very charming, extremely smart. Literally, if I'm a 22-year-old and I meet someone who knows how to pay their taxes, that's impressive to me. Power is really attractive. When you're young, you seek that. When you feel lost, which in your late teens, early 20s, you tend to, someone who has self-assurance, who knows what they're doing, who's in control, that's really appealing, at least to me. And so I completely understand the appeal. And I understand the intoxication of it. And I think this is where the story can apply to people who believe they would have acted differently. And I think it applies to anything from emotional affairs to any romantic relationship where you feel like you're sneaking around. That heightens the stakes of the relationship, which makes it feel like it heightens the love. And it sounds like she really did. You know, at one point, Monica Lewinsky breaks down in tears when she's, you know, working with Ken Starr's team finally because she says you know this is the person i wanted to spend the rest of my life with Mm -hmm. she was absolutely in love with clinton Mm -hmm. but i think a part of that is fed by the fact that when you are in secret with someone you feel like you are closer to them than you've ever been closer to anyone because you have a secret together it does add such intensity like just movie level intensity yes movie Um, level intensity even if Clinton wasn't married, like it, no matter what, it would have been clandestine. Yes. Doing something you're not supposed to be doing has like an inherent nature of like adrenaline 
and that like draws you closer to a person also like narcissists just literally fuck you up like there is a cycle to it like they fuck you up they draw you in they love bomb you they have a unique power unlike any other human being that they can make you feel like the only person in existence like their light is shining on you and you're the only person that matters like it is a very specific feeling and it does scientifically work to draw you in and then the cycle moves on and it's love bombing and then it's starting to pull away and then it's starting to devalue you and then it's total like ice out like total like you don't matter anymore well that's really what clinton would do to monica i mean fast forward one of the higher-ups in clinton's campaign before his re-election see that monica has been around the office they, knowing Clinton, immediately have her reassigned to the Pentagon because, you know, Clinton's about to be reelected. And Clinton's upset to hear this when Monica is, of course, super upset that she's getting moved from the White House. And Clinton, you know, promises that he will be with her. She, she will get to return to the White House as soon as he's reelected. So to her, this is like a date, mm -hmm. a set. And again, to a narcissist, it's nothing. But yeah. to someone who's hanging on every word, it's everything. Mm -hmm. And that's the thing, too, is that Monica has a comically smaller life compared to his. Mm -hmm. So as his life is moving at a breakneck speed, you know, she's kind of Cinderella waiting around for this guy. And to the extent that her friends would say that she would spend her whole weekend indoors because this was pre-cell phone waiting for him to maybe possibly call on her landline. And sometimes he would call and he would end things with her because he knew that things would have to end and then have phone sex with her. Yep. When you get a hit, it feels better when you've been wanting one. Mm -hmm. And I can compare that to gambling. You know, you're sitting around a table, you're playing cards, whatever, whatever, whatever. When you win, it feels so amazing. And then you play for it again, right? And that is sort of being with someone who's giving you themselves randomly and at their own whim. Mm -hmm. It feels like you won. You did something right. But what you don't realize is it's completely random for them. They're mm -hmm. calling you up whenever they feel like it. And, you know, the stable version is a guy who just keeps giving you a love whenever you want it all the time regularly. And to a lot of women, myself included, sometimes that can be like, oh, whatever. It reminded me of so many relationships I've had. And I was remembering that feeling of waiting for the text, like just w literally doing anything I can, like, please distract me. Like, I remember thinking like, okay, if I, if I drive in the car to the grocery store, that'll take this amount of time and then I'll be grocery shopping and I won't really be able to look at my phone. Like just looking for anything to do to not be just staring at my phone. So I just related so much to her and it's bad enough when you're in that kind of like push and pull, like turbulent thing. And it's hard enough when it's like you go to school with the person, if you have to see them there and like you have to see them on social media and like that's really hard. Imagine if they're the fucking most important person in the world, literally. Like, they are the person who tells you whether or not you're safe from global threats. Like that is what I cannot even comprehend. And having had the experience of like then going through a breakup and like wondering like, does everybody think he's a great guy? Cause like they don't even know what I've been through. Imagine having that. And it's like every, it's the fucking beloved democratic president of the United States. And you're like, no, actually he was a fuck boy to me. Like actually he 
fucked with my head and he was a narcissist and he did all this shit like why is everyone acting like he's great like the whole of america depends on whether or not people think this person is great and this is someone who like ended things with you and then called you for phone sex like there was a difference in opinion in groups of feminists when this happened some women saying hey if the president hit on me would I have the gall to be like, I don't know, or right. would I be completely consumed by how, you know, I'm not above being charmed? Would I be completely swept under by the power? Would the romance of the situation, would I just be overwhelmed? Or would I be excited? Like, can we admit that? Mm -hmm. And then other feminists were saying, no, it's bad. It's an abuse of power no matter what. I think that this is like a true gray area in this situation specifically mainly because of Monica herself saying that this was a mutual relationship and that she was offended by the people who blamed her for this and offended by the people who put all the blame on him. Mm -hmm. You know, she really understood that. And, and it's very clear in her actions that she pursued this person and was not the one who started it, though. And I just wanted to give a little backstory on Monica that I thought was really pertinent to everything that happened. So she grew up in Beverly Hills and she identified with, quote, unquote, having weight issues. And I put that in quotes because it's so ridiculous. Mm -hmm. And she was stunning, gorgeous. Yeah. But she was extremely sensitive about her weight and was bullied in school. And she said in an interview that she remembers sitting on her parents' bed and practicing how to take a joke because she couldn't take a joke as a kid. And so she said that she would practice and her parents would try to show how to take one and not to cry. And so all of this, she said, contributed to her, you know, being bullied in school, having not a very strong sense of self. So, you know, this is the tragedy of this is someone who does not feel like they have a strong sense of self, meeting someone who has the strongest sense of self, that's very attractive. And you would pursue that and you would obsess over that. The narcissistic charm cannot be underestimated no like no i don't think he's like fucking no he's not jude conventionally law attracted i was trying to think i'm like leo no i don't think he's leo dicaprio another narcissist but <laughs> i do think he you know has that like effect I want true we started talking about this incident drugs and uh, officials Cover up. <laughs> you couldn't believe it. From iHeart Podcasts. It's like the police knew who he was before they got here. A story about money, power, and corruption. The medical school dean at USC was leading a secret double life. He's breathing right now? Yes, he's absolutely breathing. I'm a doctor, actually. There's no way that that guy's a doctor. I'm Paul Pringle, and I'm an investigative reporter for the LA Times. This is the story of an investigation that starts in a hotel room in Pasadena, California, and reaches all the way to the top of two of the most powerful institutions in the city of Los Angeles. When people fall in line, they fall in line. Looking back, I realized, oh, everyone knew. This is Fallen Angels, the story of California corruption. We're always going to have predators. It's the good people who stand by and do nothing that allow them to flourish. Listen to Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Across Generations, where the voices of Black women unite in powerful conversations. 
I'm your host, Tiffany Cross. Tiffany Cross. I want you all to join me and be a part of sisterhood, friendship, wisdom, and laughter. In every episode, we gather a seasoned elder. But even with a child, there's no such thing as the wrong thing if you love them. Myself, as the middle generation, I don't feel like I have to get married at this big age in life, but it is a desire I have and something that I've navigated in dating. And a vibrant young soul for engaging intergenerational conversations. I'm very jealous of your generation (laughs) that didn't have to deal with Instagram and Tinder. This is Across Generations, where Black women's voices unite, and together, you know how we do, we create magic. magic. Listen to Across Generations podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots as I sit down with inspiring women like Misty Copeland, Brooke Shields, Vanessa Hudgens, and so many more. We dive into how these women made their pivot and their mindset shifts that happened as a result. It's a podcast about women, their stories, and how their pivot became their success. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. So, cut to this fucking woman, Linda Tripp. Okay, so this is where I've run into some problems. It sure is. And I don't even (laughs) want to talk about what Devin says. Okay, so (laughs) Linda Tripp is Monica's quote-unquote friend. Quote, put those quotes in little flames. Did Linda fuck up Monica's tarot card deck, too? Yes. Yes, She mixed her major and minor arcanas. Linda befriends Monica and Monica ends up telling her that she's been hooking up with Clinton. It doesn't take Linda very long to basically tell a book editor about this. And, you know, Linda has her own reasons for not liking the Clintons. I think that Linda's out of her mind from listening to the slow burn interview with her. I think that she. Okay. We had such different experiences. Yeah, we sure did. (laughs) I think she's out of her mind. Talk about narcissist. I think that she was dying for this to be her story she was the squeakiest wheel i have ever heard just telling everyone was like oh and then linda tripp told me that she knew someone who was having an affair with the president linda tripp tapes her 24 year old friend and this is where i'm like abusive power really comes in for me here because linda tripp's whole thing is well i just thought well what if it was my daughter i just kept on thinking she gets emotional in an interview being like well i just thought if this was my daughter i knew that this is what would have to do no that's not what you have to do if it was your daughter it Mm -hmm. just truly isn't and taping someone to then give those tapes over to the fbi agents is just a narc move at the end of the day but it's self-seeking and truly so dark because this was going to ruin and impact the rest of this woman's life Mm -hmm. and you know that because the hubris of monica's story is that there was she was 22 
you know, 22 to 24, she had no idea what she was playing with. She literally gave Bill Clinton a, a note with like some lines from Romeo and Juliet written on it. You know, she was sort of having this middle school mind yeah. and um, she had no idea what the stakes were and what was, you know, at risk. But Bill Clinton did and Linda Tripp did. And so Linda Tripp knew what those tapes could have done. I, I think it even, I think it shocked even her because I do think she sounded remorseful in those interviews, but she was making no sense. She was like, I thought the Clintons were going to hit me with a truck. She was like claiming that she thought the Clintons were going to kill her. Okay. So like I did go into this, not knowing a single thing about what happened with Linda Tripp. I literally had no idea what happened with her. I didn't know anything about her. So I was like completely objective listening to slow burn. And I did find her, like, to seem accountable in the interview. Like, it seemed like she was, like, kind of taking accountability in the sense that she did say, she's like, everyone in America hates me. And the one person I wish could, like, accept my apology is Monica. Yes, okay, Linda Tripp did Hurricane Katrina. I get it. And Linda Tripp did 9-11. I get it. But yep. <laughs> I'm saying, like, I don't know. It's like, when she said that, Yes, I thought it was dramatic, but at the same time, it's like, I don't know, she was dealing with the most powerful people in the world. Like, I guess I was like, yeah, I guess I can see that. But but she didn't go to her superiors. She went to no, a no, salacious book editor. So here's the thing. Like, it's like, this is why I relate to Monica in the sense of like, I feel like I am like a porous person. Like, I took that from Casey Wilson saying that on Bitch Sesh, where it's like, I just feel like it's like. Sometimes I feel like it's like my skin is like tissue and it's like anything can seep through. And like that means like when someone makes the slightest comment, it directly affects my self-esteem. I relate to like being like, OK, I need to take a joke, like especially because my family's so funny, like growing up, like I remember being like, don't take it personally. They're not getting up on you. Like but like I would just be like, wait, what? Which is funny because I'm so mean to you literally every I'm time like, we record wait. an episode. <laughs> but no, but I'm saying like the reason why I always say like, oh, I think I would be the type of person who would join a cult is because that is like how quickly I'm influenced by people. And like, that is why I'm so affected by narcissists. Cause I'm like, Oh my God, like I see what you're saying, Linda Tripp. Like, yes. And of course, like when I step back, I'm like, okay, you're right. You're right. You're right. Like, I agree with everything you just said, Carolina. I do think she was narcissistic. I do think she's a narc and a cop and she was a bad friend and she wasn't really doing it for her daughters. And that's a Matt Damon thing to say, but <laughs> I still like when I was listening to her, I was swayed by her. That's why it's dangerous for me. Like I have to be careful with what I ingest because thank God, literally thank God I was raised by liberal people, smart people. I know. Like, I think the same thing. If I was raised by a conspiracy theorist, I would be believing in conspiracies. Like that is just what would happen to me. But also like the phone calls with Monica and Linda and it's like Linda would be like well I think you should like hold on to the dress like I I pull friends on like do you think I should cancel this birthday party that I'm supposed to go to or because it would change my entire travel plan for going on a trip or do you think I should just change my entire travel and I like I literally don't know the answer I'm like someone tell me what to do so I relate to Monica in that sense where she like just blindly trusted someone and then I became, in a sense, Monica, when I blindly trusted Linda Tripp while listening to Slow Burn. And I'm like, wait, she just wants Monica to forgive her. Like, she lives on a horse ranch and like she has a Christmas tree. She has store. a Christmas tree. And like, maybe she's okay. But I think, you know, as Tess Sitzman, friend of the pod, said, everybody in this story was in over their heads. Oh, yeah, that's true. My Except personal. For <laughs> my personal 
public enemy number one is Ken Starr. But anyway, oh, go ahead. Fuck Ken Starr. That's going to be on our merch table. We've already talked about it. So then the fallout happens, basically. And what I thought was really interesting was that basically the Clinton camp has no idea what Ken Starr's camp has. When As soon as they do, basically, then Clinton sort of admits to the fact that he's had relations with this woman and that's when the whole dialogue of well what does sexual relations mean and he thought ken Starr's team meant this when they said sexual relations and it all becomes about sex and then clinton at one point apologizes to all the cabinet members and his chief of staff and he says he's very remorseful, it's teary-eyed, it's in the Oval Office, and the Secretary of Health, Donna Shalala, is the only person who says, I can't believe you're doing this, mm-hmm. and that's m- m- not verbatim, I'm paraphrasing, but she had worked at a school, and she said, I had fired professors for doing what he did, mm-hmm. for sleeping with students, and... She was very clear that she thought that he had been immoral, not just because of cheating on his wife, but because of how he did it. And because this was a really young woman. There was also a great line in that meeting where he says, so are you saying you would prefer Richard Nixon to John F. Kennedy? And she just responds, you've got to be kidding me. (laughs) Which I'm like, thank God. And all these people were like, we've never been in a cabinet meeting like this, um, which is what a source told the New York Times. But she was the only person who was not making it about sex, who was making it about, listen, like what you did was unfair to this girl. And even if it was consensual, it was unfair. And I guess that's like the that's the word that I keep hitting at, because I think coupling him in with Trump is especially dangerous because it equates rape with sex and Mm -hmm. rape is not sex. And, Mm -hmm. you know, Trump is openly um, someone who sexually assaults women. And I think what breaks my heart about monica is that she in seems she literally to the day that the fbi met her at this mall she was very protective over bill clinton the first thing she was worried about was how to reach bill clinton and Mm -hmm. let him know that's what she told her mom too like i don't want to take down the president of the united states Mm -hmm. you know she completely all of a sudden kind of sobers up and also that she's wanted to still in a way protect his legacy. She's been very careful about that. Even recently when discussing the Me Too movement, she said that like she's very careful that she doesn't know how this applies, Mm -hmm. which I think is incredibly generous to him. Mm -hmm. And recently he said, you know, something about how he hasn't apologized directly to her. And she said he should want to apologize to me. That would make him a better man in this country, a better country, mm-hmm. which I thought was perfectly put. Mm-hmm. Now, she's had a really hard life. And I think that she would say that herself. You know, this was of the moment in 1998 to 2000, maybe. This, these were jokes that were made. Talk shows joked about her all the time. But add 10 years to that. This woman has still, she's having trouble making a living. Mm -hmm. She was going to schools. She went to London to study social psychology. She had a drink with a woman there. And the woman said, we don't want you here. And, you know, she had intense PTSD Mm -hmm. and she was actively suicidal. Mm -hmm. And she put it really well where she said, you know, the fear of ostracization strikes at the very core of who we are. We cannot survive alone. Yeah. And she was completely ostracized from society. 
And and worse than being ostracized, she was the joke. Yeah. I know I've been like the butt of a joke for hooking up with a guy. And I know that that's probably most women's experience. And it is like, it is humiliating, like to be, whether it's like someone's calling you a slut or someone's like joking about, you know, an embarrassing hookup or whatever. Like, well, think of the phrase walk of shame. Yeah. And how much shame is equated to sex and then put it on the grand scale. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, she even said, she said the shame sticks to you like tar. Yeah. And I'm sorry, I totally interrupted you. No, I, I really appreciate you saying that because that's exactly what I was getting at. And you put it better than I could have. But also, I just am in so much awe of how strong she is and how careful she is and brave she is. Like, I think it's so brave of her to say she actually doesn't know how this like holds up in the light of me too, where most people would, I know I would be like obsessing about having the perfect response and like, you know, what do I say? And it's like to say, you don't know is like one of the bravest things you can do. But her most recent vanity fair um, piece that she wrote, I think in 2016 is so beautifully well-written. Like I just was like, Oh, you're a brilliant person. Obviously you had one of the most, you had the most competitive internship job in the world. And you clearly are like a very bright individual, but her writing is so beautiful. And she talks about, just how much it meant to her to just feel less alone as a result of the Me Too movement. And like, I think the Me Too movement has been flawed in many ways, but like just women talking about their pain is one of the most healing things that is in existence. And she talks about that and just feeling like understood and how much that meant to her. She also calls her time at the White House, the house of gaslight, I think is what she refers to it as. And it's like, this is a man you've been with denying what happened on a national scale. I loved one of my favorite things in Slow Burn was when it talked about how she called Clinton out because he said he cherished her. He said, like, I cherish you. And she said, how can you cherish me? You never asked. You don't know anything about me. You never asked me questions about myself. You don't even know, like, what town I'm from, (laughs) you know? Yeah, I can only imagine how painful it would be to be in this whatever you want to call it, a fair arrangement situationship with someone who you are developing strong feelings over strong being, you know, she again admits that at one point that she thought she was going to, this was her going to be her life, Mm -hmm. you know? And then that person denies it. And then you become a joke because of it. That's the thing that is so painful that it becomes about sex mm-hmm. when that's not what you really signed up for. Yeah. Sex was a part of it. And that was, you know, like it is when you're attracted to someone and something's moving forward with someone, but she really thought of this as a relationship. And there was an HBO special called Monica in black and white. And it was her on stage answering questions, telling stories. They would do these montages of interviews, people making fun of her. And she got very emotional, multiple parts. I remember watching with my mom and and being struck by how eloquent she was, how elegant she was, because, you know, the way she'd been portrayed in the media was just trash. Like that she was like basically this, you know, bimbo. Mm -hmm. And here she was on stage, like really defiantly. And I think a beautiful way, like sticking up for herself. Anyway, um, at one point of the special, there's a Q&A portion and a guy asks, how does it feel to be America's premier blowjob queen? And the whole room gasps. By the way, she has been in tears for some of this portion, but like he's a man and he thinks being provocative makes him Louis C.K., which it does because they're both pieces of actual (laughs) dog shit. 
But in her response, she immediately says, I don't actually know why this whole story became about oral sex. And she said it was a mutual relationship. And, you know, worse, it became about sex really because that Republicans were about to face a midterm election. So they were courting their most important voters, which are evangelical Christians and the Bible Belt. Mm-hmm. And that's fine. That's what they had to do. And, you know, um, so much of this is about polling anyway. It's ridiculous, including a lot of Clinton's term. But one thing I was thinking about was Jessica Simpson's book, Open Book. And she talks specifically in it about how there's a lot about her being sexualized as a young teenage pop star, et cetera, et cetera. But then there was when John Mayer calls her sexual sexual napalm. napalm and says that like fucking her was like smoking crack. And she was so upset with him. And I figured just because like he, it's kind of degrading, but she said because she had never been undressed by so many men before and that men had never looked at her the way that they they did after those comments. And I thought about that when I was reading interviews with Monica Lewinsky, because all of a sudden you are a reference, Mm -hmm. you are an object. Mm Mm-hmm. And at the same time, people don't want anything to do with you. Yeah. And so, you know, up to 2006, she was in London fully with PTSD, trying to figure out what her life was going to be like. Because, you know, she would say that she she said it took me six months to get the courage to ask to work at a nonprofit. And then they didn't want to hire me. Yeah. And where does your life go? I mean, I'm, I'm saying this out loud because I'm just, I'm so shocked by what she survived. And yes, this is where the humble brag comes in. But I tweeted at her after listening to Slow Burn and just said, I'm so, you know, sending love and admiration to Monica Lewinsky, you know, for how she's survived and thrived after these years. And she liked it. It's true. It's not a big deal. She did like it. She did like it. I'm really inspired by grit. Mm-hmm. I think that's one of my favorite attributes in people. Do you think I have that? Obviously, I've been waiting to ask you. Yes, I do think you have it. I think that people don't know they have it until they use it. Well, I haven't had a chance to use mine yet, so. I think it's something that we build up to. I, I would never describe myself as full of grit like five years ago. And now I can really see that I'm tough. You are tough. I'm a tough cookie. I can't say that. I'm full of grit. I can say on any given Sunday, I'm, I'm full, full of, of grits. shit. Grits, I was going to say, like the breakfast food. Jesus Christ, I can't get away with anything in this house. I want true romance. We started talking about this incident. Drugs and uh, officials cover up. <laughs> you couldn't believe it. From iHeart Podcasts. It's like the police knew who he was before they got here. A story about money, power, and corruption. The medical school dean at USC was leading a secret double life. He's breathing. Yes, he's absolutely breathing. I'm a doctor, actually. There's no way that that guy's a doctor. I'm Paul Pringle, and I'm an investigative reporter for the LA Times. This is the story of an investigation that starts in a hotel room in Pasadena, California and reaches all the way to the top of two of the most powerful institutions in the city of Los Angeles. When people fall in line, they fall in line. Looking back, I realized, oh, everyone knew. This is Fallen Angels, the story of California corruption. We're always going to have predators. It's the good people who stand by and do nothing that allow them to flourish. Listen to Fallen Angels 
A Story of California Corruption on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Across Generations, where the voices of Black women unite in powerful conversations. I'm your host, Tiffany Cross. Tiffany Cross. I want you all to join me and be a part of sisterhood, friendship, wisdom, and laughter. In every episode, we gather a seasoned elder. But even with a child, there's no such thing as the wrong thing if you love them. Myself, as the middle generation, I don't feel like I have to get married at this big age in life, but it is a desire I have and something that I've navigated in dating and a vibrant young soul for engaging intergenerational conversations. I'm very jealous of your generation (laughs) that didn't have to deal with Instagram and Tinder. This is Across Generations, where Black women's voices unite, and together, you know how we do, we create magic. magic. Listen to Across Generations podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots as I sit down with inspiring women like Misty Copeland, Brooke Shields, Vanessa Hudgens, and so many more. We dive into how these women made their pivot and their mindset shifts that happened as a result. It's a podcast about women, their stories, and how their pivot became their success. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I just want to say that we have to get to a point in society where it doesn't take a viral podcast or a viral New York Times documentary or a viral clip of Diane Sawyer on Twitter for us to realize how we have abused women culturally in our society. (laughs) And like maybe the starlets of today, we won't have to like look back and be like, I can't believe we treated you know, Dua Lipa that way. But like, we probably are treating Dua Lipa like shit and I don't even realize it. So I probably should just pay more attention. (laughs) Meanwhile, imagine someone Googles me and I'm like tweeting at Dua Lipa being like, fuck you, you fucking piece of shit. No, but it's just like, I'm speaking for myself. It's like, yeah, I just never cared to look at this really pivotal moment in our society that involved us societally abusing a woman and laughing at it like laughing at the jokes laughing at the shame and i'm just really excited for this fucking swan song that i hope impeachment will be like a swan song for monica her story i just am really excited for it i am so happy that she's doing this show too and it's an amazing story where ryan murphy bought the rights like forever ago to this book and all about the clinton scandal and he ran into Monica Lewinsky at a party and he said, I have the rights to your story, but I would feel terrible if you weren't producing it. And I think you should be paid. <gasps> it takes him like three dinners to convince her. Okay. And she is the executive producer, meaning that she had notes on all the scripts. 
she was not on set whenever Beanie Fieldstein was playing her, but would sometimes be on set for the Linda Tripp stuff. Her and Sarah Paulson met to discuss Linda Tripp. Her and Beanie Fieldstein met. And when she was watching cuts of episodes, she hired a therapist to be on with her. I can only imagine how triggering that would be. Well, all I have to say to that is, hey, Rye, if you ever want to tell the story of a little gal from Connecticut who no does not have any grit yet, but might go through something in the future where I will have grit, let me know. You don't have to buy me dinner. I'm interested. Even though I will say that the new season of American Horror Story, I watched like 20 minutes and I was like, I don't know about these vampires in Cape Cod, but I probably will keep watching. And I really do think that like, Maybe this is an email. Okay, wait. So then, P.S. I really do think that American Crime Story, The People vs. O.J. Simpson was like one of the best shows I've ever seen. And then P.P.S. I loved what you did with the Roanokes. I just was a little curious. And then P.P.P.P.P.S. Why was Gaga the choice for the hotel story? And why did it have to go so extreme? It's like, I loved that Gaga was in it, but then it was like, why is it so characterized? And it's like, just because Gaga's in it has to be characterized. Wouldn't it be cool um, if Gaga was Linda Tripp? No, Sarah Paulson's a better actress I than know. Gaga. Come on. No one is a better actress than Gaga. <laughs> you have to be kidding. I, I'm not kind of. Well, let's not pretend that she's an amazing actress. Like, she's not an amazing actress, but she knows what to do and she's a star. She's an experience. I'll give you that. But it's like J-Lo is a star. J-Lo is not an amazing singer. She's a star. Yeah. Like Gaga's not a great actress, but she is a star. You're right. She's an experience. But I wouldn't say like, oh, she can be on the same level as Sarah Paulson. No. Monica Lewinsky, though. Star. 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 Ken Star, piece of shit. Piece of carbon shit on the ground. <laughs> piece of shit that I shit out after I eat grits. Okay. Literally, I can't even with him. All right. Thesis That's of the I episode, to... I can't even with Ken Star. Someone get in touch with him. Tell him we can't even with him because we can't even. We really can't even. He has a he has a podcast, by the way. I looked it up. And I think it's called the Star Report. It's like oh, what I know, a fucking of loser. Course, of course, he's, he's like, let loser. me dust this off. <laughs> my one good thing. My one fucking hit. My one hit wonder. So that's what I would like. Like you said, I want us to stop giving women credit in retrospect. I wish yeah. that Monica had been able to make a living earlier. Yeah. Now she has an overall deal. She's killing it. Does she? Yeah. Well, she better because the Obamas do. She's going to do great things and her motive is really to live life in kindness. And she's an anti-bullying activist and it's really a beautiful thing. And, and the she's extent to which I thought you almost said, and she's an anti-vaxxer was so scary. <laughs> and it's a really my beautiful thing. are like wrenched right now because I was like, oh my God, go ahead. That's another thing about people who have been shamed by society and specifically women. It's like, okay, don't live. Yeah. Don't live. Yeah. And that's what she frequently said in this interview with John Ronson. I read where she just who wrote the book. So you've been publicly shamed. I recommend. And she says to him, like, people really want you to disappear. Yeah. I really was touched thinking of her as a little kid and thinking of how particularly painful it would be to be in this situation when you have been someone who was fragile growing up. Again, I was also fragile growing up again. Rye. You're looking for a gritty story. Title, Grit. Title, Kinetta Grit. She's Kinetta from Connecticut. Grit. Oh, and that's she's, good. 
trying to get some grit again haven't really gotten the grit from any of my experiences but i might <laughs> any minute now could have an experience that gives me grit so just stay tuned god i'm sorry this episode got so emotional not emotional i'm not emotional at all gritty i haven't been affected by any of this i literally don't care <laughs> no but i'm really not emotional like i wish i was but i'm not i'm not emotional either i guess i get i get self-righteous about it i'm self-righteous yeah for sure for sure i'll be retweeting some stuff about impeachment for sure i'll be i'll be quote tweeting i'll be quote tweeting don't you worry so yeah i am self-righteous but i'm not emotional right now I was in the worst mood the other day and DM'd a woman I have <laughs> friends of friends with who's an anti-vaxxer. I DM'd her a picture of a boy who's going through chemo uh, sitting in the back of his car. Because what'd I, she say? She responded with like, did you even see what I wrote on my post? She posts all this anti-vaxxer stuff. Then I forgot about it later in the day. <laughs> <laughs> and you're like, why is this bitch like fucking calling the police on me? I was like, oh, anyway, I'm going to take a nap. And then I was like, wait, what? What's in my inbox? Oh, I literally said, oh, because I couldn't believe that she wrote back. And then what did you say? I just left it hanging. I just. I'm... Wait, so you just said, oh, no, I, I just. <laughs> that would be really funny. That would be a good. Comeback. Oh, I didn't see that you read. Wow. You're really backing that up with some facts. <laughs> No, I I um have now become obsessed with her, but I I have to look away. I really do. Do you recall when I thought that I got in a fight with Elizabeth Hasselbeck on Twitter and like taught her a lesson, <laughs> and then it was a fake account? And I literally I literally posted like I tweeted and like posted on Instagram like Yeah, I just got it. Pretty much owned Elizabeth Hasselbeck, and someone's like That's not a real account. It was like. Talk about so you've been publicly shamed. Like talk about you know who should get at me is not Ryan Murphy, it's John Ronson because you need a prologue to the book, which is the, the time that I am engaging in like a long-winded argument. And it literally I was like, she does seem particularly careless for a public person because she tweeted like women shouldn't even be allowed to have thoughts. And that's what I was like, wait, this is like I remember little... this. Oh my god, because I remember being like, yeah, Devin, and then you saying no, that was actually Ah. so the thing about that was truly my family members were reaching out they're like Devin I saw your post they're like you pwned Elizabeth Hasselbeck dude and I was like I know and I was like can you believe she said women shouldn't even be allowed to think and then someone was just like hey FYI and I was like did you have to take this away from me like I know I've never had an experience that gave me grit I know I'm from Connecticut I know I shouldn't life. even be allowed to think <laughs> but can you please just let me believe like you let me believe in Santa Claus until very recently. Can you please just let me believe that I pooned Elizabeth <laughs> Alston <laughs> and not some fake ass bitch who has like 700 followers from like Palmdale, like Minnesota or some shit. But whoever you are, fake Elizabeth Hasselbeck, I appreciate that you tried to give me what I wanted. And thanks for not commenting when I retweeted your profile and said that I had pooned you. Um, but thanks thanks also to whoever told me the truth and i'm sorry i ashamed my family i'm sorry they were proud of me for one moment and it went away like sand through the fingers so this episode really was in dedication to anyone who's having a hard time out there feels any guilt any, any shame guilt. any embarrassment any walk of shame Psh, Psh. that's what i want to say to you Psh. Psh. <laughs> 
I want to say, I'm sorry I talked about the disease of narcissism and then turned literally everything about Monica Lewinsky's experience to be something about me. And wrote a five-minute letter to Ryan Murphy. And unfortunately, I did tell my therapist that I am going to be taking a break because I don't think I need it right now, but now I'm rethinking that. It's like something's actually deeply wrong. We'll catch you next time on True Romance. Please keep us updated with what you think about impeachment. We will read comments on air. And as usual, stay in touch. Stay in touch. I mean, if you want to like, if you want to subscribe, listen, we want to stay around as long as you do. So it wouldn't hurt. It wouldn't hurt. Devin, I love you. Love you, girl. Love you, Monica. Love you, Mon Mon. All I ever wanted was a little love. I want I used to have so many men. How this beguiling woman in her 50s... She looked like a million bucks. ...scams a bunch of famous athletes out of untold fortunes... Nearly $10 million was all gone. It's just unbelievable. Hide your money in your old rich men, because <laughs> she is on the prowl. Listen to Queen of the Con, Season 5, The Athlete Whisperer, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying... A, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, love at first, first listen. listen. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. With new segments, correspondence, and a new sound. Listen to Locatora Radio as part of the Michael Dura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Get emotional with me, Radhi Devlukia, in my new podcast, A Really Good Cry. We're going to be talking with some of my best friends. I didn't know we were going to go there on this. People that I admire. When we say listen to your body, really tune in to what's going on. Authors of books that have changed my life. Now you're talking about sympathy, which is different than empathy. Never forget, it's okay to cry as long as you make it a really good one. Listen to A Really Good Cry with Radhi Devlukia on the iHeartRadio app. Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts.